Our scripture this morning is in Genesis, beginning of chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault and the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make mankind in our image in the likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground so god created mankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them god blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, 
I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. May God bless the reading of and the hearing of his word. Good morning. How's everybody on this? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad everybody's here. Um, I have to tell you that this week has been busy. Um, I brought my calendar. It's only January 7th, 9th. And look at my calendar already. And this is my list of what I have to do today. Not good. Yes, the retreat is on. Um, and that's partly why my list is this long for today. <laughs> um, when I was looking at the scripture today, I was thinking, you know, we're all busy doing a lot of things. Most of them are really good things. Like, I teach five days a week, and I work at my other job one day a week, and I'm here one day a week, and I do other things in the evenings, and it's like, wait a minute, that adds up to more than seven days, doesn't it? But then I was thinking about it. Um, what are some of the things that we do all week long? What do we do? Read? Breathe, yes, breathe. Breathe is a good thing. Uh, yes, what do you do in the week? Sounds like you're kind of busy too. Yeah, very busy. Whether we are at work, whether we're at school, whether we're uh, at our job, whether we're cleaning our house, doing our chores, we everybody has stuff to do. And I was looking at the list of what God did in a week, and I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty impressive. Did all of that in six days. I don't know. I don't think I could do that much in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. And I thought about that. And I thought about the fact that it said that he took, he had finished what he was doing. And I'm thinking, but he hasn't finished. He's still working. He's still making things. He's still creating. He's still active every day. But he finished what he was doing. He was able to rest and he 
the, the sermon title, God's Back Porch, made me think, wow, you know, I could see God sitting back on his porch going, oh, yeah. You know, and I'm thinking sometimes, how often do we do that? I don't have a back porch, I have a side porch, and mostly it needs to be cleaned off. But occasionally I get to sit out there and go, huh, this is good. But I should be doing this, and I should be doing that, and I really need to do this. Uh, so when I sit on my side porch, or when I sit on my sofa, my brain goes to all the 40, 11,000 things that I still need to do. And that's one reason why I come here on Sunday morning. Because when I come here on Sunday mornings to worship, I can just sit with my God and it's all good. We can sit here and we can worship and we can be in each other's presence. And sometimes I'm so busy during the week, I'm like, yeah, hi God, thanks. Thanks for getting me to school safe. Thanks for getting me through that. But can you really help me with this? But on Sundays, notice my Sundays are mostly clear. That's my day to rest, except for today. <laughs> but my hope is that because I'm here this morning, resting in him, he's going to give me time to breathe. He's going to give me that space that I need to do all these other things. And you know what? If they don't all get done, they don't all get done. They'll still be on my list tomorrow, and that's okay, because tomorrow night looks pretty clear. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I could do that. Uh, so the thought of the fact, it, it kind of really hit me that, you know, he said he was finished, but he wasn't finished, and he's still not finished, and that's okay. But the important thing to do is to take the time to sit on the back porch with him and to look at what we've done and to say, yeah, that's good. Okay. Dear Lord, thank you for all the gifts you give us, but we especially thank you for the gift of your presence in our life. Help us to take time to really be in your presence to be able to sit back and look at the things that we have done during the week and to hopefully say, this is good. Just being in your presence, Lord, is, is really good. And we ask you to help us to breathe, to slow down, to just be in your presence, to hear what you have to tell us. So many times we run around telling you things that you already know. But you have so many things to tell us to help us to listen, help us to just sit on that porch with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great song. Definitely sing that one again. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, you are holy and great and mighty, and you love us and you want to be known by us. Please help us to know you a little bit better today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I am, I, I feel like this isn't a normal thing for people, but I actually knew all four of my grandparents 
into my young adulthood and my grandmothers actually both just passed away not too not really that long ago um comparatively speaking so and i'm the oldest grandchild on both sides of the family so i sort of feel lucky i had the the best of my grandparents um and i have some really good and lots of memories of them but one of the memories that i have of my mom's parents is that they so my grandfather was a pastor i think you know that um and they had a nice house in barrington rhode island they didn't have much of a yard but they had this great back porch it was a screen porch and most of the at least summer memories that i have of visiting them takes place on that porch um, and one of the things that was the best about that porch was that it wasn't just for them or for our family. That was kind of the place where in the summertime when people came over, we would all hang out on the porch. So it was kind of this place, it was part of the house, it belonged to my grandparents, but everybody else felt welcome there. It was a meeting place. It was this place of kind of overlap. Um, and Today, we're actually kind of considering a few overlaps. As you know, that the, um, the pilgrimage is having a retreat this weekend. We're having our regular Sunday service this weekend, and there's maybe a little overlap happening right here between these two ministries. So Central Baptist Church meets pilgrimage. Pilgrimage meets Central Baptist Church is weird because we can't see each other, but, but there is overlap. Um, on the retreat, we have been talking about what it means to love the Lord our God with our whole selves. We talk about this here all the time, about loving the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what are different ways that those four things connect with different parts of our, who we are and how we connect with God. And here today at Central Baptist Church, we're starting a new sermon series. It's the beginning of a new year. And we are going to be looking for the next few weeks until Lent um, at the biblical concept of the temple. The biblical concept of the temple, briefly, is overlap. It is this idea that, the, well, the Bible Project describes it as the place where God and humanity overlap. And we talked about this a little bit in our Matthew series and a little bit more um, on Love Sunday and Advent. Um, but the temple is this place where God and humans come together for a purpose. And this is going to be the starting point for the rest of our year. And I think it's going to sort of set the focus for all of our other sermon series that are going to follow. Usually God doesn't give me a whole plan for the whole year for our sermons, but I kind of feel like maybe did at least right now this is the plan we're doing that we're looking at the temple for a few weeks when lent starts after teen challenge gets here we're gonna do a quick look at prayer prayer is a super big topic there's no way we're gonna cover everything about it in the season of lent but that's gonna be our focus during lent um then we'll look at some of the parables in luke and then in the summertime this i'm telling you this because you need to know this plan for this. We will have six weeks where I preach sermons based on your questions. So start thinking of questions. What do you want to hear me teach you about or talk about or explore with you?
from here. We talked one time about felt needs and, um, and actual needs. I try to present here what I think are our needs as a community, what we need to look at as a community. But um, you, I know that some of you have questions or things that I haven't touched on that you want to know about. And so um, I may not have answers, but I'm willing to tackle, you know, I'm willing to tackle stuff. So um, lay them on me and I'll pick the top six, but there has to be at least six questions or we're going to have a lot of dead air in the summertime. Um, then in the fall, we'll look at Ephesians for about 12 weeks and then that will bring us to Advent. So this is where we're going, I think, Lord willing, this year. Last week was our celebration Sunday and that's when the, the church body brings different things through which to worship God. And I kind of feel like that was kind of a heavens and earth overlapping kind of day too. It was, it was a really great time together. And today we are setting the stage for all of this. Okay, here's another disclaimer. I tried really hard to rewrite this sermon so that I wouldn't have to go into really nerdy niche words um, today, but I couldn't figure out a way to do it. And so. I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit gave me this sermon and is therefore going to help you understand what you need to understand. <laughs> um, but I'm going to teach you two very um, nerdy and spiritual formation or spiritual direction specific lingo words. They are apophatic and cataphatic. Has anyone ever heard these words? Okay. Well, I knew someone was going to say that. I should have known it was going to be you. Um, <laughs> not apples. Apo or apa, actually, apa. Apophatic and cataphatic. Um, on one level, these two ideas are really simple, and on another level, they get kind of mind-bending, but the concept, the biblical concept of temple is a little bit mind-bending. So, um, the simple explanation of these two words is that apophatic is spirituality by, they say, by negation. It basically is what God is not. So you could say God is not, well, the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. Right? Um, or God is not, I don't know, I'm sure we could brainstorm Okay, God is not unjust, right. Um, and cataphatic is the positive, the flip side of that. So cataphatic is saying God is, God is good, and God is, um, what? God is love, that's, that's what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> so here comes the mind-bending part. Here starts the mind-bending part. Apophatic and cataphatic are, come from Greek. And apophatic literally means other than speech. It means indescribable. You can't actually use, it's a type of spirituality that you can't actually use words for. So like the silence that we did at the beginning, that is apophatic. There's nothing happening there. Nothing is coming out, nothing is going in, there's nothing. But it's still something. Um, Cataphatic speech is a little harder to translate, which is kind of 
um, it kind of, you could sort of translate it as down speech, which I kind of interpret as down to earth speech. It is something that defines things, that gives shape to things, that helps you understand things, helps you see things. So when we're, um, when we take communion, that is extremely cataphatic because we're using stuff that we can, that's embodied, that we can take into our bodies, that we can feel, we can see, we can touch, we can taste, we can even hear it because right now we do communion with those little plastic paper things. So, um, so it's sensory and it's not magic but it is a spiritual practice that reminds us of something about God. It tells us about something about God and ourselves, and it makes it, for us, real. So there are some pros and cons about both of these types of spirituality. We actually, as human beings, we need both of them because we know that we're spirit and we're flesh. We've talked about, we talk about this a lot. Um, and so if you just have one, there are some things about each one that's, that are really good and really helpful, and there are some things about each one that, if you only have that one, can become a problem. So the pros to apophatic spirituality is that it reminds us that God is not us. And there is no part of creation that itself is God. God is other than us. God is not containable. There's no way we could we could use every single word in the dictionary and we would never be able to fully describe who God is or what God is like. We can't. And that's good because it keeps us, it reminds us, first of all, it reminds us that there is always going to be mystery to our faith. No matter how much we study the Bible, no matter how close we get to God, no matter how much we know, whether we go to seminary and get a million degrees, we, there will always be mystery to our faith, and if there isn't, it's not faith. Faith relies on there being some mystery, something that we cannot get our minds around, we can't wrap our experience around, we can't, we can't do it. And this, in turn, helps to keep us humble. We are not God. We cannot figure out God. We are God's subjects. God is more than we can ever fully comprehend. It's not that we shouldn't have questions. We shouldn't ask. It's not that we shouldn't ask questions, but we need to be patient with the answers when we ask the questions. And we need to know, maybe going into it, that sometimes we will discover, if we're honestly asking the questions, we will get the answer, but there won't be words for it. You may be getting hints of this as you grow in your faith, as you walk with Christ more, where things that used to be giant questions that used to really bother you a lot just don't bother you anymore. And it's not because they stopped mattering. It's just that you, you feel them differently. You somehow have part of the answer, but it's not an answer that you can actually give words to. That is apophatic. So those are the good things about epiphatic spirituality. The bad thing about it, if you only have it by itself, is it makes it impossible by itself to actually know God at all. Because it's wordless. There's nothing, and it's, it's not sensory. There's 
nothing. There's no way, no handle, nothing to know about God. God becomes unrelatable. God becomes unknowable, just kind of a force. And it makes the great commandments impossible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't do it if you can't, you don't know who you're loving. You cannot love a force. And a force cannot love you. You could be really nerdy about a force. Maybe you're a physicist and you really love, love gravity. But that's not the same kind of love as the love of God. You can't give anything to gravity. You can't really receive anything from gravity except, you know, you might fall down and yourself. Um, <laughs> but gravity is not relational. You cannot have a relationship like we mean relationship with gravity. So that's the bad side of, uh, of apophatic spirituality if you only have it by itself. So having said all that, if we're talking about cataphatic spirituality where there's, where our senses are involved, words are involved, and you can see things, and you can feel things, and you can touch things, what do you think might be, if that were the only kind of spirituality you had, what do you think might be the downside? Okay, so if certain items actually have something of God in them, you have to be where that thing is in order to be with God. Okay, that's good. Right. You can become attached to a thing and not to God. So you can, this, ha this happens with things like, um, have some kind of special significance beyond decorations and instead of reminding you of God you could actually think they were God you could start worshiping them you can do this with other stuff too and we do this in our society we worship money and we give extra significance to people in our lives whether they're people that we know or celebrities or politicians or whatever um, special pastors we we do this we start to give more significance to created things than they actually have by themselves. This is why I included Genesis 3 in our responsive reading today. We're not going to look too much at that, but Genesis 3 actually shows us how the temple concept in the Bible gets messed up for the first time. We're going to discover in this series that, like, really the temple starts in Genesis 1 and 2, and it just keeps going through the Bible, different iterations of it, and it keeps getting messed up, I guess, who? Us. <laughs> um, so Genesis 3 is the first time, and what's happening in this is the serpent is tempting the woman directly, but also the man, with this created thing, here's a fruit. Look how beautiful it is. Look how tasty it looks. And also, bonus, did you know that if you eat this, you're going to be like God. That is taking the apophatic part of spirituality out of the equation and making it just about the here and now, physical, sensory, understandable. I can be like God because I ate this thing. Right? Cataphatic spirituality by itself 
leads to idolatry and superstition and this desire <clears throat> for us to be like God without God, to have control over our surroundings, over other people, over everything. When it causes us to, instead of recognizing that we're made in God's image, it causes us to make God in our image. The minute we try to be like God on our own terms, this is what happens. We start to make God like us. And we see this happening. We see when people drag God into something as a justification for doing something evil or violent or not life-giving, and they say, I'm doing this in God's name, they're making God in their image. However, so those are the, the bad things about by itself cataphatic spirituality, but the good things about it is that with the other one, it frees us up for a relationship with God, and it also frees God up for relationship with us. We humans, and actually all of God's creation, are God's expression, God's expression of cataphatic spirituality. God made us. God who is spirit made us who are physical. And so we are cataphatic beings. We are cataphasia. When we are rightly relating to God, we are physical, sensory expressions of who God is and what God is like. It doesn't mean that we have to be, be God. We aren't God. We're not all of what God is like. But we demonstrate, when we are right, rightly relating to God, we demonstrate to each other and to nature and to other people around us what God is, something of what God is like that they can perceive, that they can understand. So this is really what Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are about. There are actually two creation stories in Genesis, chapter 1 and chapter 2. They're told differently. They are not even, the things that get created don't even get created in the same order in these two chapters. Because... That is not the point. The point, so let me just say this. If you believe that God created the world in seven 24-hour literal days, that is fine. You can. That's valid. But it's not the point. And when Christians and atheists argue about whether the earth was created billions of years ago or the earth formed billions of years ago and or it was created in seven 24-hour days. Both sides are missing the point of Genesis 1 and 2. The point is that God is expressing God's self. And God, as David said, is love. And we talked in December about how the Trinity, God is a Trinity, and there is perfect love between the three persons of the Trinity, and that is how love can be a force in the universe. Love always has an object, not an object like a thing, but a, something that receives the love and ideally can give the love back. God's essence is love, and so we said in December that love has a shape. Love is creative. Love is life-giving, always. If there's some 
feeling or force that that is destructive and that is not life-giving that is not actually love it might be a twisted form of love it might be obsession it might be lust it might be something but it's not actually love like the kind of love that God has for us and that God wants for us God's we creation and human beings especially are God's cataphatic experiment but it's an experiment of love God is taking the kind of shapeless not talk about a bowl um, something ish nothing is nothingness and bringing this it's kind of chaotic that's and bringing order into it love orders things love doesn't control things but it orders things so that they can flourish it gives shape and significance from void it god god's experiment god's creation is god making cataphasia out of apophasia in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth says the very beginning of the bible now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the waters listen this is talking about even though it's using words it's actually talking about something apophatic there's no form the earth was formless and empty earth the earth what um no form there's no substance it's empty and there's no light to see anything by you can't distinguish anything darkness was over the surface of the deep but the spirit of god was hovering over the waters and in hebrew that term is kind of implies like a like a hen that's incubating her eggs or um it's a nurturing word that and the waters are the beginning of substance something is happening here there's nothing there's no form there's no light there's no substance but the spirit of god is nurturing conceiving something the bible project calls the earth especially god's cosmic temple the earth as god's temple is the place where god and all creation but god and humanity especially overlap it is the place where the unknowable god makes himself known and the bible describes the temple both as a place that is holy and special and unique but also as a house and these are down to earth creating words and god creates substance and form and light through words through the word jesus by the way little peeve that i have Sometimes people try to make, we can have a conversation about God's gender or something, but not today. But sometimes people try to take the gender out of God and they will say, instead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can agree that Jesus was man. So they'll, they'll leave that part in, but they'll say Creator, Son, and Holy Spirit. That bugs the life out of me, not because of the Father part, but because the whole Trinity is involved in creation. The Father speaks the Word, which is Jesus. By the way, Jesus is God with a form. Jesus is God cataphatically. 
And the spirit has been conceiving this and nurturing this and incubating this the whole time. The whole trinity is involved in creation. It is not just the father. Okay, rant over. <laughs> Thanks for letting me get that off my chest. <laughs> so, when, so Jesus, the word, gives God, who is love, shape both in creation and also in his own person. And speaking, God speaking, separates and orders and kind of builds this cosmic temple. Genesis 1 especially is really focusing on this temple imagery. In the first section of it, God is ordering the materials. He's, he's separating the light from the darkness. There's Here's this material and this material. By the way, notice both light and darkness are still in play here. Those are still both materials that are part of God's creation, but they they're being separated from each other. And then, and then the next day, God takes the sea and the sky, which are both kind of watery and shapeless, and separates those. And did you notice when Bernice was reading, it described the sky as a vault, temple. And then God separates the land from the sea, and then things start to get even more specific. Now God has the building materials, and now he's going to do something with them. He's going to make the ornaments, the decorations for this temple. And so the land starts producing plants. God is now structuring this house. And then he creates specific things through which light can shine or which can reflect light. So there's the sun and the other stars, and there's the moon. It reflects the light and then he fills up the sky and the sea with life. There's birds and there's fish. And then he fills up the land with life. And finally, he makes humans. Every single part of God's creation is not God, but it reflects something of God. Every single part of creation can make God knowable. That's why you can go for a walk in the woods and have an experience of God. Because God made the woods. It's not God. It's not the same thing as church. But you can experience God in any part of creation. But humans are the special part. Humans are the priests. God created humans in his own image. Not just reflecting some part of him, but in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The world is a place where humans who are made in God's image, who can perceive, even if we can't describe or encompass, both the spiritual and the physical and sensory, to be in relationship with God. And then chapter 2, which we didn't read the whole thing of, but that emphasizes that. That's the chapter where it describes God getting down into the dirt and making a man and breathing life. It's very tactile, it, and it's very tender. Eden, which is emphasized in chapter 2, is the temple within the temple. So the world is God's temple, but Eden is this special place that's set up specifically for humans and God to get together. God's back porch, or the Holy of Holies. As we go into this series, we'll find out about the priests 
and humans were supposed to be the priests. Priests are go-betweens, go-betweens between God and, well, these days, God and other humans. But really, humans were intended to be, all humans are intended to be priests between God and the rest of creation. We are supposed to bring God's loving order or God's ordering love to the world around us. So we should totally care about creation and global warming and poverty and all of these things. We should care about these things. And the place that God originally designed for us to kind of get our marching orders, for us to connect with God in all parts of our spirit so that we can do this was Eden. Meet with God, get to know God, get to know ourselves, get to reflect God's love back to God first. Love the Lord your God. And then represent God to creation. And represent creation to God. We are the go-betweens. We are both creation and God's image. We are supposed to be the mediators. When God said to the man and the woman, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, he wasn't talking about dominate it. He wasn't talking about destroy it. He wasn't saying force everybody to be exactly like you or everything or make every, all the animals slaves of your will or whatever. Um, God did give us animals to do jobs for us, but you know, there's abusive ways to do that. He was saying, express me to the rest of creation. Here, I created this orderly, beautiful place that sustains you, that helps you. Now you go into the rest of this world and make it part of this temple too. By my power, because we are connecting. This was the plan. Express God to creation. Order creation's chaos. Love creation. Love the Lord your God is the greatest commandment. And when we love our source, our personal source, it enables us to be carriers of that love to the rest of the world. This is loving God, not just believing in God, not just obeying God. Here's a secret pro tip. If we love God, get to know God, spend time with God, dedicate ourselves to God in spending time with him, the belief and the trust and the obedience will follow because we love God. We don't even have to talk ourselves into doing this good thing out of gratitude to God. We're going to want to do it because we love God. If you love somebody, you want to do things for them, right? And God doesn't have to force us to do anything, and God doesn't have to make us feel guilty about it. We love God. So we do it. If we love God, and so therefore we're believing God, we're trusting in God, we're obeying God, we ourselves cataphatize God's love to our neighbors. We become the substance, the, the vehicle 
that expresses the love God has for the people around us. The temple is the place within creation where we dedicate ourselves, heart, soul, mind, and strength to meeting with God, getting to know God, and loving God so that we can love each other in creation. So in the coming weeks, we're going to talk a little more about what happens to the temple, that temple, the temple, um, what happened to the priests, and in the meantime, I offer you this to consider through the week. Our world is pretty chaotic. In some ways, even though we could probably list a bunch of things um, that are specific problems in our world, in some ways we are sort of looking at the chaos, the, the shapelessness. It's dark and there's no form and there's no substance. It's just crazy before creation. It's kind of like that. So here are some questions to consider this week. How can we, as a church, as Central Baptist Church especially, but also as individuals, connect with the relational, personal God in love? How can we do that? And then, how can we do that in order to bring love and order? Lord, this is a big topic. <laughs> um, sometimes I wish you just make it easier. <laughs> but Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being together as a community and learning about you and getting to know you and for the honor that you actually want us to wrestle with hard to understand things about you. Um, you are so great and yet you still want to be known by us. Lord, I pray that this year we will all know you better and that we will really take the time on Sundays and in our daily lives to connect with you, to learn to love you, and through that love, to receive your love and give it to the world. In Jesus' name.